Father in heaven, we've come together one last time as we linger in your presence, Lord. We plead, Father, for one more blessing from the throne of grace before we all disperse and go our various ways. Father, we've learned a lot over the weekend. Our minds have lots of new information. And I pray that you would part the way and help us together today to learn one more thing that will draw us nearer to you. Speak to us, Lord, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings. How many of you like blessings? Amen. I love blessings. I love singing that song. There shall be showers of blessings. I love singing that song. Blessings are all over the place in the Word of God. There are lots of places where you can find blessings. In fact, in my humble opinion, every time you come across the promise, there you find a blessing. And in the greatest sermon that was ever preached by Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, there at the very beginning, he goes through a list of blessings. And if you want to go there, you can. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus lists these nine different blessings. And we're not going to go through all nine of them, but very quickly here, we can look at some of these blessings. Verse 5, the Bible says, blessed are the meek. Verse 6, blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Great blessings. Lots of blessings that God wants to give to us. And, and at this point in Jesus' sermon, I'm tracking with him. It all makes sense. But then something really strange happens in blessing number 8 and blessing number 9. Two things that he mentions that you would not consider a blessing. Jesus says this, verse 10, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And if that weren't enough, rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. There shall be showers of blessing. We don't think of that as a blessing, do we? Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. I'll be honest with you. I've never gone to church on Sabbath morning and heard one of the dear saints during the praise and prayer request time say, I am thankful that God has given me the blessing of persecution this week. Never heard that happen. In fact, what we usually hear goes something like this. I'm thankful that we live in a country where we are free to worship God according to the dictates of our conscience and we're not persecuted for what we believe. That's usually what you hear, right? Or maybe you'll hear something like, I've gone through a trial this past week and I'm being persecuted by my coworkers and my family. Would you please keep me in prayer? Yeah, this is usually the stuff we hear on Sabbath morning, right? But Jesus, at the very beginning of his sermon, he goes through all of these blessings and people are like, yes, the peacemakers, they're blessed. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. Wait a second. Hang on a minute. I didn't sign up for those kind of blessings. The book Desire of Ages makes a very interesting statement. Why is it 
that God's people are blessed when they are persecuted. Desire of Ages, page 306, says this. It is fellowship with God. It is what? It is fellowship with God that brings them, God's people, the world's enmity. Let me ask you a question. Is it a blessing to have fellowship with God, yes or no? Yes. So there we find a blessing. But she goes on and she says, They are bearing the reproach of Christ. They are treading the path that has been trodden by the noblest of the earth. Not with sorrow, but with rejoicing should they meet persecution. How should we meet persecution? Each fiery trial, listen to this, don't miss it. Each fiery trial is God's agent for their refining. Each is fitting them for their work as co-laborers with him. Each conflict has its place in the great battle for righteousness. And each will add to the joy of their final triumph. I would submit to you this morning that we should thank God both in times of peace and in adversity. But I want you to go over with me a couple of chapters to Matthew chapter 10. And Jesus is giving his, what some people refer to as his ordination speech, as he's sending out his disciples to go and be workers. And he says this in Matthew chapter 10, and verse 16, Jesus makes another startling statement to his followers. It says, Jesus says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. In that little phrase, I send you out as sheep among wolves, Jesus defines the identity of his followers. What are they? They are sheep. And he also defines the identity of those that his sheep are going to. They are what? Now, do I really need to explain to you this morning what happens when sheep are among, amongst wolves? Do I need to explain that? We all understand that, right? Is it a good outcome usually or a bad outcome? And you know, it's interesting to me that it doesn't take a lot of wolves to cause much damage among sheep. And in fact, in the natural world, what you find is it doesn't matter how many sheep there are. If there's one wolf, there will be damage. But I want to tell you something this morning. We're going to find out here in a few moments that that's not the way it is in the spiritual world. Because God's sheep can triumph over the wolves. And we're going to see how that happens here in just a few moments. But Jesus defines the identity here of his followers, that they are sheep in the midst of wolves. But I don't want you to miss an important comparison. You can write this in your notes. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7. Jesus, uh, or the Old Testament prophet speaking about Jesus, uh, describes him as one who is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. When you send sheep in the midst of wolves, you are sending them to be slaughtered. And so in essence, as Jesus is doing his ordination sermon for his disciples as he's getting ready to send them out to work for him, he's basically saying, you are going to do the same thing that I have done. Now maybe you, as I and many others, have heard this idea that the safest place for us to be is in the center of God's will. Have you heard that before? I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. As you read through Scripture, you will actually find that that is not biblical. Physically. Spiritually, the safest place for you to be is always in the center of God's will. But physically, it's a different story. 
Because what if the center of God's will for you is to be a sheep in the midst of wolves? Is that a physically safe place? Yes or no? No. But is it a spiritually safe place? Absolutely. We have to reprogram the way we think because many people think that if it's dangerous, if it's going to cost you your life, if it's going to have high stakes, then it must not be God's will. That's not what Jesus told his disciples. You go all throughout scripture and you find time and time again, yes, there were times like the three Hebrew worthies where when they went into their fiery furnace, God protected them. And God will do the same thing in the last days. But what about the Old Testament prophets who cried aloud and spared not and lost their life because of it? We have to change the way we think because it doesn't matter if we lose our lives. What matters is that we're doing our Father's bidding. And if he chooses to protect me as I go forth as a sheep in the midst of wolves, so be it. If I'm more valuable to God to have my life brought to an end, so be it. I have to leave that up to the Lord. So we've talked a lot this weekend about missions and, you know, ministry and going out and being witnesses and all of that. Yesterday morning, we talked about the gospel commission and how God wants to throw us out. But the devil has these two ditches on either side of the road, worldliness and isolation that he's trying to get us into. But what I want you to understand this morning is that as God sends you forth, he is not sending you down a path of roses. He is sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And as we go out as sheep in the midst of wolves, should we be surprised when we are attacked? Should that surprise us? Should it discourage us? Should we expect it? Okay. So we have to to think these things through. When we go out to be laborers together with God, there is a price that is involved in going out to be a worker for God. It is dangerous, it is risky, and it is unsafe to be a sheep in the midst of wolves. But brothers and sisters, if that's where God calls you, that's where you need to go. And God is calling all of us. He is sending all of us forth. Heard a story about some missionaries who wanted to work among the Batak tribe in Indonesia. And uh, they, they, it was a missionary couple, they went to go live with these people, and as they began to share with them the good news, this tribe was 100% Muslim. Sheep in the midst of wolves? They went to bring to them the good news, the glad tidings of salvation. And shortly after they got there, the elders of this tribe of people took them and murdered them and ate them. Several years later, there was another couple who said, those people are God's children, and they need to hear the gospel. And they had heard the story about the missionaries before them who had gone there and had been cannibalized. They said they need to hear the gospel. They are God's children just as much as I am God's child. And so they decided to go and bring the gospel to the Batak tribe. And as they began to share the story of the good news of salvation, those tribal leaders, they remembered the same stories that they had heard from the previous missionaries, but this time they listened. And as they listened to those stories, it was transformative in their lives. And within a short period of time, that second missionary family that went there converted the entire tribe of Muslim believers to Christianity. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something this morning. It is worth it. If you look at it from a heavenly perspective, it is worth it to be a sheep in the midst of wolves. We just have to trust God that he is doing what is best. Now, lest we think that Jesus was just calling his disciples to be sheep in the midst of wolves, jot down in your notes, if you would, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Where Paul, talking to the young man Timothy, he tells him 
that all that will live godly in Christ Jesus. What? Might? Maybe? I want you to notice as we go through this talk together this morning, I want you to notice the definitive way that Jesus describes that persecution not may come, not might come, but it will come to all who what? Live godly. Now, I know that all of us have the desire to live godly lives. Amen? Amen? You're you're a little unsure now, aren't you? (laughs) We all want to live godly lives. We all want to be ready when Jesus comes. We all want to be like Christ. We all want to have the character of Christ perfectly reproduced in our lives. But do we understand what it's going to cost us to have that happen? If we don't count the cost when the trial comes, when the persecution comes, when the death threats come, we might say, "Uh, maybe I don't want this. You've got to count the cost. Because all who live godly in Christ Jesus, Paul tells us, will suffer persecution. In fact, the ESV version makes it very plain that they will suffer persecution. There's no ambiguity here. It is definitive. Listen to this statement from the book, Great Controversy, page 48. It says this. The Apostle Paul declares that all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now listen, why is it then that persecution seems in a great degree to slumber? Yeah? Are we persecuted here? Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. If you are going through a trial of like a Sabbath work issue or family not in agreement with you in your religious convictions, I want to tell you this morning that's not persecution. Okay? Okay? We're going to have to grow above these types of things. Because what, what is coming before us is exceeding abundantly above what you might be experiencing right now. Now, I'm not saying that that isn't a trial. But it's not the type of persecution that you find defined in the Bible as persecution. Okay? Now, listen to this. She goes on. It says, why then... Is it that persecution seems to to a great degree to slumber? She goes on. The only reason is that the church has conformed to the world's standard and therefore awakens no opposition. Now listen, you can throw hand grenades at the church all you want and rotten tomatoes at the church all you want, but the church is you, the church is me. And if there is no uh, persecution that's being awakened and the reason for that lack of persecution is because of worldliness in the church, I have to ask myself the question, am I contributing to that? Because we can talk about GC leadership all we want. We can talk about conference leadership and union leadership and all that kind of stuff. We can throw hand grenades into those camps. But brothers and sisters, it all comes down to this person right here. Now, it doesn't stop there. She goes on. It's a great quote. You'll want to go back and find it. Great Controversy, page 48. She goes on. She says this. Let there be a revival of faith and power of the early church. And the spirit of persecution will be revived. And the fires of persecution will be rekindled. What will happen? What will bring on the persecution? A revival. A revival of primitive godliness like the apostolic church. That will ignite the flames of persecution. You know, this is clearly illustrated in the life of the disciples. As you look at them during their three and a half years of ministry together with Jesus, were they persecuted? Not really. I mean... They were part of a group of people that weren't very famous. But their lives were not in jeopardy. Even though they were fearful that they might die at the time of the crucifixion, they weren't really interested in the disciples. They wanted Jesus dead. And it's interesting that as you look at that time period in the disciples' lives of that three and a half years together with Jesus, what were they largely arguing about? 
Who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Therefore, there was awakened no opposition to the church and there was no kindling of persecution against them. But what happened when they, when they experienced conversion in their lives? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you flip over to the book of Acts and what do you find? Persecution after persecution after persecution. But don't miss this point. As a result of the persecution, what happened to the church? It grew by leaps and bounds. And it's interesting to me that the very thing that we are fearful about, the very thing that we try to keep at bay, is the very thing that the book of Acts tells us is what grew the church. Of course, it was because the Holy Spirit was upon those men that awakened all of that opposition. The world's not going to oppose the church unless the church is filled with the divine power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, the Bible tells us, And Saul was consenting unto his, that is Stephen's death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. What did the persecution do? It what? It scattered them. Right? You know, we, 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 we feel comfortable in our little groups. We like to be around those who think like us and act like us and talk like us and eat like us and dress like us. We feel comfortable when we're like that. But according to Scripture, that's not what, the God wants, what God wants us to do. He says you are the salt of the earth and salt needs to be spread around. And so when God's people tend to congregate themselves together, we find that sometimes he will bring what? Persecution. And that persecution will what? It scatters them. And notice what the Bible goes on to say in verse 4. As a result of that scattering, the Bible says, Therefore they that were scattered. Why were they scattered? Because they were persecuted. They, those that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Did they allow the persecution to keep them from doing their divine mission? No, they did not. They continued Bearing the good news wherever they went. In other words, the results of the great persecution, the result of it is that the gospel was carried to the far reaches of the world and the world was turned upside down in one generation. I think maybe we're praying for the wrong prayer. Maybe we need to pray for a little bit of persecution. You know, it's interesting to me. I read a book called The Insanity of God. It's a fantastic book. If you haven't read it, you need to. And basically, the, the author, Nick Ripkin, was going through and documenting Christians in persecuted parts of the world. And this is what Nick Ripkin found out as he was trying to learn from the faith of these incredible men and women. What he found was this. Those who live in areas of great persecution, they do not pray for the persecution to be removed. They pray that God will keep them faithful while they are persecuted. Are we praying for the wrong prayer? It's interesting to me. That as Satan persecutes God's church, what he ends up doing is accomplishing God's purpose, does he not? Taking the gospel to the world. He persecuted the Son of God. What did it result in? Salvation for the world. So we go back to our passage, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, but ye shall be therefore wise as serpents, and harmless as doves. There's a lot packed into this little verse, and we're just going to try to unpack a little bit of it. We won't have time to do everything. But the first thing you notice is that the Bible says, Jesus says, Behold, I what? I what? I send. It's the same thing as the Gospel Commission, right? God is sending His Children, we already talked about this in our time together yesterday. And many of those that Jesus sent, they had other occupations. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were lawyers. They had all different occupations. But all of their occupation, no matter what it was, was trumped by the occupation of being sent as a worker for God. Right? 
Okay, so I want you to notice Jesus is sending them, and he knows where he is sending them to. The next thing we find in the passage is that he says he's sending them where? As sheep among wolves. In, in all simplicity, what Jesus is saying here is, I am sending you into dangerous places. Where is he sending them? Do wolves have sympathy for lambs? Do you expect a wolf to say, hey, how you doing today? Do you expect a wolf to come up to you and say, hey, brother, I noticed that you're having a rough day today. Can I help you out and pray with you? Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Let's go on and look at a couple of other passages here in Matthew chapter 10. Notice what it says in verse 17. It says, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. Verse 21, and the brother shall deliver up the brother to what? Death, and the father, the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. Verse 22, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Verse 23, but when they persecute you in this city, what does it say? Spread the gospel someplace else. Verse 36, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. As much as I would like to say that things have changed in the past 2,000 years between the time that Jesus said this and now, I can't tell you that. It's the same thing. Jesus says in John chapter 15 and verse 20, remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, what's the rest of it? They might persecute you. No, they will persecute you. So listen to me carefully this morning. If you're looking for safety, an untroubled life, freedom from danger... The message is clear from the word of God. Stay as far away from Jesus as you possibly can. Are you all tracking with me? The message is clear. If that is what you are looking for, what is put before us as the great American dream, to live prosperously in a comfortable life where you are not persecuted, if that's the life you're looking for, stay as far away from Jesus as you possibly can. Because anybody who wants to live a godly life according to scripture, that's what they have to look forward to. But brothers and sisters, God's people do not become discouraged by things like that. Because they don't look at things from a heavenly perspective or from an earthly perspective. They look at things from a heavenly perspective. They understand that this time in this world is but for a short season. And if they are faithful during that small season of persecution, they will have eternity to look forward to with God in the kingdom of heaven. These types of things who have, for people who have a relationship with God, who walk with Him every day, these types of things do not discourage them. And I want to tell you something this morning, brothers and sisters. I was fearful of the idea of persecution. I remember as a teenager hearing about all of the coffins that they're building and internment camps that they're putting together and all of this conspiratorial stuff. And it scared me out of my mind as a young person. The type of torture that they're going to do and the, the old things that they're going to reenact. And what, what I found out is that I was paying too much attention to that and not enough attention to him. I want to be one of those men that, as the reformers of old, as they go to the stake, they're singing, there shall be showers of blessings, as they're going to be burnt alive at the stake. Praising their Lord that they can stand in service for him. and Show love to the world. Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, than he. It's the last part of the verse that I find very interesting as well. Behold, I send you forth as sheep. 
in the midst of wolves. And then Jesus <laughs> is ironic. He says this. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and... Let me ask you a question. How does the human flesh respond when he's in the midst of angry wolves? What do you want to be like? Do you want to be as harmless as a dove? You want to... You want to give it back to them, don't you? If you're going to hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. If you're going to say mean things to me, I'm going to say mean things to you. If you're going to gossip about me, I'm going to gossip about you. We feel it's our right to do that. But what does Jesus say? To be harmless as doves. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, Fighting sheep are strange animals. And fighting Christians are a self-evident contradiction. Quote that one in your next board meeting. Jesus' command to his sheep is a testing command. I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, but you better be as harmless as a dove if you're going to win those wolves for me. And brothers and sisters, if you think you have a lot of patience right now, get in the midst of the wolves and see how long that patience lasts. Because let me tell you something this morning, you will not humanly be able to be as harmless as a dove if you do not have that living relationship with Jesus. You just can't do it. You've all done it before. I know I, I've done it many times where you, you, you make this resolve that you're going to be a better person and then you, 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 you do it in your own strength and you try to do it and you're, you're, you're successful a few times. But then there comes that pesky old wolf that just mm, jabs it right in your side and you give it right back to them. It's only having that converted heart that time after time after time as Jesus was ridiculed and ultimately persecuted, that he was able to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Every time I think about that, I think, there's no way I can do that in my own strength. When you are sorely tested, slandered, hated, mistreated, abused, threatened with death, it is not easy to bear all things. Believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things. This is why we have to be connected with God morning by morning, day by day. We do not know what is going to come during that day. We have to have that walk with Jesus that's alive, that helps us to persevere whatever may come our way. What did Paul say in Romans chapter 12, verse 21? Be not overcome of evil, but overcome. Listen to this statement. I found this in my study, and it really kind of made me pause. This is from the Review and Herald, April 26th of 1892. You want to write that down. Review and Herald, April 26th, 1892. Listen to this. Jesus says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. But you need not meet the wolves in the same spirit that they themselves possess. You are to be harmless as doves. Listen to this. In meeting those who are fierce of spirit... You must manifest meekness and love. What do you manifest? Okay, so I'm a sheep in the midst of wolves. How do I act? I act how? Meek and loving. Listen to this. Meek and loving. And the manifestation, listen to this, of this spirit will frequently change the spirit of the wolf. What does it do? And a wonderful transformation will take place. They will go from being a wolf 
to a sheep. And I want to tell you something today, brothers and sisters. Only God can do something like that. What does it take to transform a wolf into a sheep? Meekness and? I find it interesting that she doesn't say anything about doctrine there. You find that interesting? You know, I find this many times throughout, as I read the Spirit of Prophecy. Now, understand, I was an evangelist for seven and a half years. I believe in doctrine. I preach it. I teach it. I believe it's important to understand it. But I want to tell you something this morning, brothers and sisters. It's not doctrine that transforms a wolf into a sheep. What will transform a wolf into a sheep is a converted Christian. Because it's a converted Christian that can be meek and loving when they are being persecuted by the wolves. The world is not looking for more fancy theoretical doctrine. The world is not looking for a clearer explanation of the 2,300 days and the 70 weeks, although we need to study that stuff. But what the world is looking for is a Christian who will return good for evil. And when people see that, it touches their hearts, it changes their lives, and they say, that is a person that has a relationship with Jesus. And I want that same thing. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is not sending his sheep to be in the midst of wolves just for the sake of the slaughter. There will be casualties along the way, but with those casualties will also come conversions. Where wolves will be transformed into sheep. In 2016, there was an ISIS soldier who took especially great pleasure in killing Christians in gruesome ways. He loved it. He would dream and think up these gruesome ways to bring these people to their death. One day he started receiving dreams. A man in a white uh, cloak. And the man would say to him, why are you killing my people? And he had this dream several times. Several times he would dream this. Why are you killing my people? And then one day, as there was this Christian man who was kneeled down before him, he was getting ready to take this Christian's life. The man uh, stretched out and he handed the ISIS soldier his Bible. Here, this is for you. Killed the man. But he had this Bible in his hands. And for some reason, I believe it was the divine spirit of God that impressed that man to go read that quote-unquote infidel book. And as he began to read the Bible, the word of God came alive to him. And he went around seeking for a missionary. What was he looking for? You see, listen, brothers and sisters, they can have these visions and dreams. They can even read the Bible, but they need a person to lead them in this process. He sought out a missionary and asked the missionary to disciple him. And as that missionary took that man underneath his wing, he was a what? He was an ISIS soldier. And as he taught him from the word of God, that man became a Christian. I look forward to seeing him in the kingdom of heaven one day. Another Paul, right? Brand plucked from the burning. One for the kingdom of heaven. Let me ask you a question. In all honesty, as Christians, is persecution and death the worst thing that can happen to us? Really, is it? It's not. But we fear it like it's the worst thing that could ever happen to us. We think to ourselves, Lord forbid that God would only let me live 25 years instead of 80 years. Or 90 years. Now I praise the Lord for you know, letting us live long and prosperous lives. And you know, we, we tout the fact that we're you know, long living people as Adventists and all that stuff because of our health all that kind of thing. And that's wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that. But really, is death and persecution the worst thing that can happen to a Christian? It really isn't. 
Now listen to this. It is only when we no longer fear death that we are free to live bold lives for Jesus. Right? If the devil can keep us under his thumb with fear of death and persecution, if he can keep us under his thumb, he will effectively keep us from reaching the unreached. Right? Because as long as we're fearful of death and persecution, there's no way we're going to go to the country of Iran. There's no way we're going to minister to Muslims. There's no way we're going to minister to radical Hindus in India as long as we are afraid of persecution and death. So the devil's like, it's okay. Believe your 28 fundamental beliefs as long as you're afraid of death and persecution. Because if you're afraid of that, I got you right where I want you. But let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. When you tell that old devil, listen, I'm not afraid of that any longer. Because I've got my eyes fixed on a better place. And you can take my life if you want to or not, but I'm going to do what my master calls me to do. It's when that happens that we can live boldly for Jesus and do incredible things for him. And I found it so interesting that as I've studied this concept of persecution, it has taken the sting out of it. What used to be fearful for me is no longer. I read this wonderful story about a man by the name of John Patton. He was a Scottish pastor, a very successful pastor back in the 1800s. He had a burden to reach the unreached in the, uh, uh, in the, on the islands of the New Hebrides. These people were savage people. In fact, he had a particular burden. John had a particular burden for one island. And on this particular island, there were missionaries that went there. And moments after they stepped on the island, they were cannibalized. They weren't even able to say, Jesus loves you. They, boom, right away they were killed. John had a burden for that island. And his church members did everything that they could to try to convince him, don't go. There's an old man in his 80s in his congregation who uh, repeatedly told him, the cannibals, the cannibals, you will be eaten by cannibals. John Patton replies, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day of my resurrection, or my resurrected body, will, be, will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Boldness for Jesus. I'm not afraid of cannibals. He went and worked on that island and converted the whole island to Christ. He broke that yoke of bondage, of fear, of persecution and death. He broke it off. And he won hundreds of cannibals to Jesus. I'm going to wrap this thing up now. I recently read a book about two people that you've probably maybe never heard of. Maybe you have. John and Betty Stamm. Find their book and read it sometime. It's an incredible story. But they worked with the China Inland Mission back in the early 1900s. Betty was a missionary kid. She was raised in China, loved the work over there, and had a passion for the souls in China. John uh, had recently had a burden to reach the unreached. And so when they got married, they decided that, you know, they wanted to work in China. They both went through the training in the China Inland Mission, which is quite extensive to learn the Chinese language and be able to minister effectively in that country. They had just finally gotten their first location as a couple, missionary couple. They had their new little baby girl. And one morning, it was a gray December morning, there was a knock on the door. John opened the door, and there was a man on the outside informing him that the communist soldiers were not too far away and that he needed to get his family and get out of the city. 
So John wasn't, you know, he wasn't an alarmist. He'd been in, in China for many years at this point, and so he had seen these kinds of things happen. So he went to go investigate to find out if it was a credible source, and there were conflicting stories. So he went back home and decided, you know, I'm going to be a good, safe father, husband, and so he was getting his family together to leave. And just as he was getting ready to leave his house, the communist soldiers took over the city, and in just a few moments, there was another knock at the door, and it was a communist soldier arresting them. They were hauled off through city after city after city as prisoners of war. And they finally reached their final city. One morning they came, the soldiers came. They stripped them down to their long underwear, bound them up, and paraded them through the streets, telling everybody to come and see their execution. There was a Christian man who was considered to be a lukewarm Christian. When he saw John and Betty, he knelt down in front of the soldiers and pled for their lives. The soldiers bound him and took him to the place of execution as well. As they were walking, somebody said to them, where are you going? John said, I don't know where they're going, but I'm going to heaven. Before his execution, John wrote this letter to the China Inland Mission. My wife, baby, and myself are today in the hands of the communists. Their demand is $20,000 for our release. The Lord bless and guide you. As for us, may God be glorified, whether by life or by death. That day, they were decapitated for witness of Jesus. I don't like stories like that. And I don't tell you these stories because I'm trying to scare you in any way. But what I'm hoping that you will be inspired by when you hear stories like that is that it is possible through the power of Jesus to meet death triumphantly. To not fear it, to not compromise, to avoid it, but to look it dead in the eyes and say, if it be God's will, so be it. And I don't know what John and Betty's death is going to do to the kingdom of heaven, but I trust that God made the right decision for them. R.H. Glover wrote in the Review and Herald, October 9, 1913, he said this, the very soul of missions is sacrifice. You want to be a missionary? You want to go forth as a witness? This is the soul of missions. Sacrifice. He goes on, and nothing less and nothing else than divine love can call forth the sacrifice that is needed. Divine love. Father in heaven, There is no way on this earth that we can do what you have called us to do in our own strength. So Father, today before we leave, we throw ourselves helplessly upon you. We know, Lord, that you are not calling us to do anything that you have not done yourself. And that as you have been victorious in saving 
this world that somehow you can use us, whether it be in life or death, to bring salvation to others. Father, lead us, I pray. Help us to find that right way. Keep us, Father, and may you give us holy boldness to defy the enemy and any threats he may throw at us to boldly move forward to claim new territories for Jesus. Father, I pray that somebody here at this convocation would go to some part of the world where Jesus' name has not been uttered. That they would go there and plant the standard of Christianity. And that people would be won into your kingdom because of the sacrifice Father, really, when we think about it, it's not much of a sacrifice because we have heaven to look forward to. Lord, as we keep our eyes looking toward heaven, help us to put our arms around as many people as possible. By your grace, bring them to the kingdom of heaven. Thank you, Father for allowing heaven to touch this place and to speak to our hearts. Bless us now, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org